Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Praise the Lord. Uh, It feels like this Sunday, the the, uh, Spirit of God is saying that He's got glory, and He's got authority, and He's got power for His church, um, which is wonderful, because that's the last page of my notes um, as well. So that's what we're ending up at. Um, Very, very excited. Um, we are currently in a series called Hello, My Name is Jesus, uh, where we're going through all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're spending two weeks on each Gospel. Um, each, um, uh, we're listen care- listening carefully, um, not just for dates and facts and quotes, um, but we're listening carefully for what, uh, what the authors are trying to say as it relates to who this person is who Jesus Christ is. Um, On one hand, we're getting four completely different perspectives, four unique pictures of Jesus. Um, But on the other hand, they're really all telling one cohesive story. This is, this is one man. Um, This is, this is one message. So um, we call them the gospels uh, because it's the good news about a victorious King. Um, The original Greek word uh, for gospel um, meant the news that a herald would bring about a victorious king, about a king that's coming back into the city, right? And now it's our term as a church for the message that the king is victorious and he has come. The kingdom is here. So it's good news. Um, the gospel's not simply Jesus loves you, right? You can, you can fit that on a little heart mint, right? Um, the gospel is a bigger, a, a bigger picture. It's a bigger story. Matthew takes 28 chapters to tell the gospel. Mark takes 16 chapters. Luke takes 24 chapters. John takes 21 chapters to tell the gospel. It's a big story. It's a big deal. Um, and it's, it's life-changing. It's good news. Um, for the past two weeks, Pastor Merrily talked about uh, the book of Matthew. Um, we saw Matthew's unique perspective that Jesus is the prophesied Jewish Messiah. That's who he is. There was a lot of teaching in Matthew about what the new kingdom looks like, right? What our lives look like now, what God's rule and God's reign looks like. Um, today, we're looking at the book of Mark. Um, St. Augustine, who was an early church father, um, in his writings, um, he wrote that Mark is pretty much just a summary of Matthew and Luke, um, that it's uh, just an abbreviation of, of his story, uh, of, of Matthew and uh, uh, Luke's story. Um, but uh, today, with the scholarship that we've had and, and the documents that we've unearthed and all the study that's gone into it, most biblical scholars are pretty sure that Mark was actually written first um, and that they used Mark, um, Matthew and Luke used Mark in, um, as one of their sources for uh, developing their books as well. Um, this is, might be a little tricky to read, um, but Matthew... I know <laughs> we got, we got charts and graphs today. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels um, because they're telling um, a lot of the same stories. They have a lot of the same messages here. Um, and, and you can see um, that top circle there. That's Mark. Um, and all but 
nine, uh, all but 3% of Mark is found in Matthew and Luke. It's just this tiny little sliver, this 3% that is unique content to Mark. Um, Mark is also the shortest gospel by far, just 16 chapters. It's about half the size of, of the larger books. Um, and when you think if 97% of the material of Mark is found in Matthew and Luke, like, why are we studying Mark at all? You know, like, that's a thought that could cross your mind. Like, what's, can't we just get it, you know, do six weeks on the gospel and just say, yeah, Mark is pretty much just uh, what we've already talked about, <laughs> right? Um, I got two reasons for you. <laughs> I'm gonna, in, in finding this, I got two reasons. Um, the first is because Mark sounds different than the other gospels. Um, he provides us with information about Jesus just in the way that he talks, just in the words that Mark chooses, tells specific things about the character of God. Um, Mark, Mark gives a valuable perspective, um, even though he's telling the same stories, even though he's, he's saying the same, uh, giving the same teachings. Um, and number two, why does the gospel of Mark matter? It's the same reason that your voice matters when you tell the gospel, right? Certain people knew Mark, knew who he was, knew what his life was like before Jesus, right? And the weight of his testimony when he delivers his gospel convinced certain people to start following Jesus. And the same is true for you and I, right? It doesn't matter if 97% of the words that are coming out of our mouths are the same as the next person that's sitting next to us in church, right? It doesn't matter that we're all singing the same words up on the screen today, right? We can't just let Justin sing all the words for us, right? At, during worship, right? Your voice matters. It matters to the Lord and it matters to other people, uh, the people who you're proclaiming the good news about Jesus to. All right, Mark, who is he? He's a cousin of Barnabas and he's Peter's translator and friend. He was Peter's translator in Rome when, when Peter, uh, the disciple Peter um, went and preached all throughout Rome. Um, he's mentioned just as a small character in the book of Acts, just a couple of small times. Um, and he's not one of the 12 disciples. He's not one of the ones that, walked faithfully with Jesus during every moment of, um, of Jesus's ministry here. Um, but he most likely spent a ton of time with Peter. Um, and Peter was one of the 12 disciples. Um, it seems like from what we can tell, most of the perspective and the voice of Mark's gospel sounds a whole lot like Peter. It sounds a lot like the guy who was the first guy out of the boat um, to walk on water, right? He was, sounds like the voice of the guy who, you know, immediately grabbed his sword and started lopping heads off, right? <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, it wasn't a very good aim, so just, you know, right? But, like, it sounds like a man of action. Um, it goes from, from thing to thing to thing to thing. Um, if you're the kind of person who enjoys um, watching the movie instead of reading the book, Mark might be for you, right? <laughs> it's it's fast-paced. Um, over half of the accounts of Jesus's miracles are in this very short book. Like it includes, um, it includes quite a lot in this small amount. Um, Sophia said this morning, I like, to, I like to read Mark in one sitting, you know, because it's like bam, 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 all at once. 
Um, <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. Um, we're going to take two weeks to cover the gospel of Mark. Um, which is perfect because God, uh, Mark splits his gospel into two equal parts, eight chapters on Jesus's identity, and then eight chapters on Jesus's mission. Um, so we're focusing on Jesus's identity today. Um, and Mark lays it out very clearly. Um, Mark begins his gospel like this. It sounds a lot like Genesis 1-1. Mark 1-1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. The Messiah is the prophesied savior of Israel and the light to the world. That's what Messiah means, right? And not only that, Mark follows it up with this. He's the son of God, not a son of God, not somebody given the right to be called a son of God, not somebody adopted into the family as the son of God. He's the only begotten son of God, very God of very God, begotten, not made, one substance of the father the son of God. And we're only in the the first verse here, right? But you're going to see, you'll see this throughout the whole book. Mark emphasizes the deity and the power of Christ. That's what it's all about. Um, These are Jesus's first recorded words in the gospel of Mark. This is the first thing Jesus says. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, uh, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What is the good news? According to Jesus, it's the fact that the kingdom is here. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The king has come. Now is the time. God's rule and God's reign have arrived, and it is a good thing. It's a good thing to be ruled by a good king. After this, Jesus gathers his disciples. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. (laughs) It's fast paced. (laughs) Um, They immediately left their nets, right? There's, it was, it was right then the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is calling you to get out your boat. You get out your boat. This word immediately here um, is the, the Greek word euthus, um, which means immediately forthwith right away. Um, Mark uses it 11 times just in the first chapter. Like we're going like, this is like, let's see how fast we can get zero to 60, you know, pedal to the metal immediately. Um, he uses it 41 times throughout the whole book. Like it's, it's all over the place. Um, Mark's emphasizing that Jesus is a man of action. Um, he's a servant on a mission. He's got a message to deliver. Um, And when he sees a need, we'll see this later, he responds immediately with love and healing and power and glory, right? That's some good news. Um, And this man of action demands an answer from us immediately. We may think, well, Jesus, I I got plans. I got a to-do list. I got a family. I've got 
you know, I've got this life, I've got habits, I've got routines, I've, you know, I've got debts, I've got responsibilities, right? Jesus is moving forward. Jesus is a leader. Jesus is walking and he's saying, come with me. Don't get left behind. Let's go. There's no option to put Jesus um, fourth on our to-do list, right? He doesn't give us that option. In some of the other slower paced gospels, we get some stories of um, other people who, <laughs> who Jesus called, follow me. And there were things that, that kept them from following, right? It was money or riches, or as they got to tend to their livestock, or they got to be with their wife, or they got to, you know, they got to bury their father, right? Like they've got things of this life to take care of and to do, right? And Jesus is saying, later is the same as saying no, right? Now is what he demands of us. Secondly, Mark shows that Jesus is a man of authority. Same chapter, Mark one, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons are, are shouting at him. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The, the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him? News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. He teaches with authority. He casts out demons with authority. Later on in Mark, we'll see he calms a storm with authority, right? What is authority? Authority is influence and it's right, right? You have influence over something and you have the right to do something. When Mark says that Jesus has authority, he's saying that Jesus's will and his commands ought to be obeyed. Right? Jesus has jurisdiction over the people that he's teaching, and he has jurisdiction over demons, spiritual forces, right? And he has jurisdiction over the wind and the waves and nature and fig trees. Right? Like Paul uses the same Greek word for authority um, in his book Romans. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Right? Jesus, uh, Paul is, I'm sorry, Mark is saying here uh, that Jesus has authority over people and spiritual forces and nature, just like a potter has over the clay that he's molding. The gospel of Mark says wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. We talked about that story earlier and many, as many touched it as were made well, right? Then Jesus enters the house of a young girl who had just died, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl. I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. 
she's 12 years of age and they were immediately <laughs> overcome with amazement. Like this is happening right away. <laughs> Jesus is so full of power and authority that sickness and death have to obey him. Next Mark presents Jesus as the Lord of all in Mark chapter two, Jesus gets this question about fasting. Uh, the Pharisees come up to him and say, Hey, the, uh, you're, we notice your disciples aren't fasting. John's disciples are fasting. The Pharisees disciples are fasting. What, what's the deal? What gives Jesus answered? Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. In just two verses here, Jesus sets himself apart from the other religious leaders, right? And all the rabbis, he claims to be the bridegroom and sets up everybody else that's following him as the bride. Right. And then he predicts that there's going to be a time that he's taken away. And then he gives instructions to fast when he's gone. Right. This kind of like power and authority and instruction, like that sounds like a Lord. That sounds like somebody in charge. That some, sounds like somebody who knows where we're going. Um, right after this, Jesus is asked about the Sabbath. And people are asking very similar question. Jesus, why are your disciples breaking the Sabbath rules? Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. In two verses here, Jesus is teaching about the Sabbath and its purpose. He's silencing the accusations and he's claiming that he himself is the Lord of the Sabbath, right? He's the Lord of all. Right after this, Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and heals a man with a withered hand just to drive home the fact that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, right? Like, he's Lord. Next up, Mark presents Jesus as the son of God. Mark 2, and they came bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof that was above them. <laughs> and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed, which uh, on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins, but God alone. These scribes, they're skeptical. They've got their arms crossed. They've got their eyebrow raised, right? They, they know forgiveness can of sins can only be given by the one who's most offended by sin. God, right? Like that's who ought to be forgiving sins. Next verse here. And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up and take your bed and walk. But 
that you may know that the son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Right. We see there at the top underlined, the reason for all of the miracles that Jesus did was to show who he was, was to show his identity. That's, that's why Jesus did this miracle, right? To show the character of God. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, right? And that's why this is in Mark. Mark showed this miracle, not just to say like, ooh, cool miracle, right? Like this is in here to show Jesus is the son of God who has the right and the authority on earth to forgive sins. This right here, this is who Mark says Jesus is. And at this point, we've kind of gone through, like these are the four things that are in the, the first half of, of Mark's gospel. Um, and Mark chapter eight here ends with this conversation Jesus has with his disciples about his identity. Um, and this, these disciples, these are people that he's walked with who have seen all of these stories, heard all of his, all of his teachings. Um, this is what happens. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. So Jesus is causing this huge stir in the nation, right? He's filling whatever rooms that he's, he's in with people, right? He's filling the countryside, and he's getting pushed out onto the lake because there's just so many people that are following him, right? There's a lot of questioning. There's a lot of controversy going on. People are whispering about him, arguing about him. Who is this guy? They're trying to figure him, figure him out. Um, and we see everybody's got an opinion. Some people say he's basically John the Baptist 2.0. You know, it's pretty much the same guy. Um, other people are saying he's, he's like the voice of Elijah the prophet. He, he sounds a whole lot like Elijah, right? And other people are saying he's kind of like an old school prophet. You know, sounds a lot like the guys in scripture. And then Jesus asks, but who do you say that I am? And I want to submit to you today. This is the most important question that we have to wrestle with. This is the most important question that you need to have an answer for. Who do you say that Jesus is? Right. I, I want us to see here. Jesus isn't satisfied with us regurgitating the opinions of other people. Right. It's not enough simply to just say, well, the church says this. Well, the Bible says he was this, right? Who do you say that he is? Who does your life say that he is? Your testimony, right? This, Mark is laying out really clearly who Mark believes that Jesus is, right? If you had to write down in a letter who Jesus was the best you possibly could, what would that say? Peter answered him, you are the Christ, right? Peter nails it here. Some of the longer books, it gives Peter's entire answer. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, right? Um, but he's, he's the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He's filled with authority and power. 
um, in Matthew, um, it's recorded, Jesus replies back, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom to a fisherman, right? Just because he recognized who Jesus really was, right? Guess what, guys? (laughs) This is an opportunity for each one of us. If we can recognize who Jesus is, he is ready to hand the keys of the kingdom, right? He is ready to give power and authority to those who just say, I know who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He has all power and authority. The identity of Jesus is the foundation of our faith, right? That's the rock. When we talk about being standing on the rock of Christ Jesus, like we're standing on the fact that Jesus is who he says he was, right? Like that is the, that's the bedrock. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, the chief cornerstone. In America, we have a lot of people leaving the church right now, right? And many of them is because they've built their Christianity on something that's other than the real Jesus, right? And when the rains come down and the floods come up, right? Everything that they built that was not on the rock of Christ Jesus gets washed out into the lake. If you are not standing on the rock of Christ Jesus, building your life on his real identity, right? You are one storm away from destruction. It's the most important thing to get right, right? If, if we can get the identity of Jesus, right, we can afford to get so many other things wrong. You know, it's, it's wonderful. It's just grace. It's awesome, right? It's good, right? But if we get the identity of Jesus wrong. It doesn't matter what else we get right. Paul says in Corinthians, um, and Bill quoted it in prayer today, and um, uh, up here, maybe that was Mary Lee, I think. One of you guys. Um, Paul says, um, Paul said that he, he resolved to, to know nothing except Christ and him crucified, right? That was going to be his one message. And other people in the church wanted to get involved with these con- uh, controversies and these arguments and, and other things. And Paul is saying, I resolve to know nothing except just the identity of Jesus and what he did. That's, that's the, where my feet are planted. Um, I'll be honest. I've been listening to a lot of atheist philosophers lately. They keep showing up on my Instagram feed. <laughs> um, and, and you listen, you go, boy, you got a lot of great things to say. Um, they'll comment on the Christian faith sometimes. Um, and they'll say, Christ represents the highest aim in our lives. Right? He represents what we all really want to be. Um, he's, the, he's that image. He's that archetypal, perfect something, something, you know, that represents humanity's need to, you know, achieve something divine. Um, And then personal development out of that philosophy becomes 
just getting better and better and better through the teachings of Jesus and, you know, you could add whatever you want. You know, I, I was doing really great. And then I added the teaching of Jesus to my personal development and I got even better, you know, like it becomes, it's Jesus and other teachers. It's Jesus and other philosophies, Jesus and other education, Jesus and other prophets. You know, when we put the sayings of Jesus, like right next to the sayings of Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Seuss, whoever, right? Like, he becomes just another guy who had great things to say. You know, you guys know Islam views Jesus as an honored prophet, right? They put Jesus right alongside Muhammad, right? As just one of the prophets that can lead us to God. The world would love to minimize Jesus by saying he's just a good teacher, right? To say there are many paths to enlightenment and to say, all religions are basically just saying the same thing. We just need to love each other more. Let me tell you, it makes a difference whether you're following Jesus or whether you're following someone else. It really does, right? Buddha, Confucius, they can't save you. And whoever's talking on your Instagram feed, they can't save you either, right? Jesus doesn't leave any option for us to live our lives by Jesus and He's extremely exclusive in his statements, right? He is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the father except by him. That is it. He's the bread of life. There's no gluten-free substitute. (laughs) All right. Moving on to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool and you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us and he did not intend to. At one point, the apostle Peter went into the Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme court of ancient Israel. Um, Mark, may or may not have been with him at this time. Um, but the, the Bible says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he declared this, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other name, but the name of Jesus. It's not Jesus. And he's either Lord of all or he's nothing. He's either alpha and omega, or he's nothing, right? Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's exactly who Mark says he is right here. Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah and the son of God. Let's stand and pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for the gospel of Mark. 
We thank you that we get to know you. We get to see you through your Holy Spirit inspired word. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and reveal to each heart and to each mind the identity of Jesus. God, that we would know who you are. We would know your power and we would know your character and we would know your love. God, I pray that we would bow our knees and submit to the Messiah. God, that it would start in your church, God, and then it would ripple out into the world, God, as the nations realize that you are the light to the nations. Jesus says, as you call us, may we drop every other pursuit, God, and immediately follow you. May we put you at the top of our priority list, our top of our hearts, Lord. May you take that place, God, on the throne of our heart. May we be ready, God, to call you Lord and master, God, and just drop whatever we're doing to follow you. We worship and we honor and we glorify you this morning. God, may your church be a light to the world. May your church proclaim the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Peter. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked that, and it's a good question to ask right now. And not to uh, come up with an answer, but to do something with the answer immediately. (laughs) Peter highlighted for us that Jesus had authority. Lord of all, Son of God, and a man of action. And so if you've seen him for who he is this morning, take action. If he's Lord of all, make him Lord of your life and take actions that demonstrate that. Um, I think what Peter hit on this morning has been in my heart for a long time, that um, in our culture, in our day, there is a lot of Jesus and. It's, it's, like, it's actually like me and Jesus, I think. <laughs> People think that um, Christianity is something you add to your life to have a better life to feel better, to gain comfort, um, to, to have a salvation at the end of this life and not go to hell. I don't know. There's a bunch of different, <laughs> there's a whole cloud of noise about how you can add Jesus to your life to make it a good life. Um, <clears throat> that's not Christianity. <laughs> Christianity is demonstrated by those who see Jesus for who he is and organize their life around that. Who do what he says to do with their life. <laughs> You know, it's not organized around a 401k or a house or a career or your how many followers you have or, or whatever your notion of the good life is. Um, if he's our Lord, we follow him, which means we give up our life. And we give it to serve others. Let's just close our eyes again for a second. I know Peter prayed. Um, but if you see Jesus for who he is, and you're challenged by this morning, pray right now in your heart a commitment to take action. He's calling out something that is in alignment with organizing your life around him as Lord and Savior and living in his kingdom. Repent. Say, God, I'm sorry that I've organized my life around me and not you, around my way and not your way, and I commit to take action this week, this month, this year to reorganize 
my life around you. Amen to that.